0: but what I'm holding is a miracle. Uh, This book was written over 1,500 years, which is a very long period of time. Forty generations. Forty different authors. Imagine that. Three different languages. Doctors, lawyers, fishermen, carpenters, all kinds of occupations. And yet it comes together in one seamless unfolding story. It's an amazing, amazing book and an amazing, amazing story. Over the next nine months, we get to think about and, and understand more deeply and hopefully see in a much more cohesive way the unraveling of this story that God is writing. The average home has four of these. Sold over $2.5 billion by far the most, uh, more copies than any book in history of the world. Eighty percent of people who own this have never read it. But, you know, mine has a thousand pages, and that's a lot of pages, and it's not all chronological. It was written in cultures that were, you know, thousands of years ago, and so I understand that it's not always easy to understand and put it together, plus the fact that this book tells us that if you're really not seeking to know the story, you probably won't understand it. And so my goal is, for those who really want to know this story, I think if you do, God will reveal it to you, my goal is over these next nine months that we would be able to, in a much better way, understand the flow of this story and, and just how it all fits and comes together. Now, if you don't have a book called the story, you're welcome to get them. We have still have some at the back table, and we invite. We'd love to have everyone have one of these books. And in the story, what you have in there, it's you know 98 of what you have is just right out of the scripture. It's the NIV translation of the Bible, and it doesn't have everything in the Bible, but it takes all of the major events, and then there'll be a little paragraph that's italicized that will help bridge the stories. And that's just to help you understand that. It's not a replacement for the Bible, but it's in chronological order, and it's going to help us to understand and it'll give us something to read and, and all be a part of how we're flowing. This morning, we are going to cover the first nine chapters of that book of Genesis. So, you know we all love a good story, don't we? I mean, when you were 2 years old, what did you want? A glass of water, okay. Number 1. And read me a story. You don't have to be very old to be excited about a good story. And so we're going to look at this story. We spend over 10 billion dollars on movies every year in this country at the theater. Why? Because people love stories. And do you know who originated stories? God originated the story. Just about every movie line you have is stolen from God. You look at the basic ingredients of any movie and it has the basic ingredients that you'll find in the story that God is writing in the pages of human history. And by the way, I believe personally that's why all of us respond to certain things in the story because that's, it, it ties us into the story that, that God is writing in the world in which we live. How many people hate getting into a movie late? Okay, I see some hands really tall, okay? You walk into a movie late and, and you can miss the whole story, right? So I just want to show you a little clip here this morning and I, I hope this will be uh, meaningful to you. <clears throat>
1: Agree more
0: that's 27 so I, i'm not really good at math but it gets big really fast you know
1: all right all right all
2: right all right a little articulation please yes
1: i think it's a good idea sean it's stupid adam it's the honor system people blow off the honor system so what just because you do
2: well, Trevor, the class seems to think that you've come up with an overly utopian idea. Look that word up in a minute.
1: Like a perfect world?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So? Okay, did you like that? How, how many knew what was going on? How many had no idea what was going on in that class? Okay, about two-thirds of you have no idea. One-third. The third of you who know what's going on, you know what's going on because you know the story, correct? Okay, so let's go back, and uh, let's just go back about a minute or a little over a minute, about a minute and a half there, and uh, let's get the whole story and see what changes in the meaning of this story. (laughs) ¶¶
2: your assignment. Extra credit. It goes on all year long.
1: Oh, now,
2: wait a minute. What? What? What's wrong with this? What's the matter? Yes?
1: It's, it's like so...
2: So what? There must be a word to finish that sentence. Someone help her? Weird. Weird. Crazy. Crazy. Hard. Bummer. Bummer. Hard. How about possible, it's possible, the realm of possibility exists where, in each of you, here, so you can do it,
1: that's me. Three people. And I'm going to help them. But it has to be something really big. Something they can't do by themselves. So I do it for them. Then they do it for three other people. That's nine. And I do three more.
2: That's twenty. Seven, so I, I'm not really good at
0: math, but it gets big really fast, you know?
1: All right, all
2: right, all right, all right. A little articulation, please. Yes.
1: I think it's a good idea. Sean? It's stupid. Adam. It's the honor system. People blow off the honor system. So what? Just because you do.
2: Well, Trevor, the class seems to think that you've come up with an overly utopian idea. Look that word up in a minute.
1: Like, c- perfect world?
2: Mm hmm. So?
0: Okay, was that better? No. <laughs> <laughs> we are born into the middle of a story. When you came on the scene, the story had already been going on for hundreds and hundreds, literally thousands of years. And do you know how many people are born into that story and have no idea what's going on in the story? And so it becomes so vital, not only for, first of all, for you to know the story, if you're going to understand in, you know, 2015 where you fit, what's gone on before in the story and where the story is heading. And then secondarily, it's not just important for you. It's important for people that have no idea that they're even living in a story and have no idea what's going on, and life does not make sense for them because they do not know the story. We're going to look at that story, and we're going to start this morning right at the beginning and chapter 1, in my Bible, page 1. Doesn't that seem like a good place to start? And here it is. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Four words into the story, and it's already incredible some things that can, would be going on in our minds. First of all, in the beginning, there's God. Now think about that. In the beginning, God's already there. So so how can that be? And so the first thing we're challenged with is this concept of how in the beginning God is already there. And so we're forced to wrestle with one of the most basic elements of life, one of the most basic understandings of God, and that is trying to wrap our brains around two things that none of us can wrap our brains around. The first is that something would, ne- something would never have a beginning. So do, you guys ever think about that? You Think about, okay, something goes back, but it didn't start then, and it didn't start then, and it didn't start then, and there is never a starting point. Do you ever try and think about that? The only alternative, and there's only one alternative, and that is that at one point, there was nothing, and that everything came, not even a speck of dust that everything came from nothing. Can you imagine that? That something comes out of absolutely nothing. And so therefore, we see that biblically in the story, it begins with the premise that there is a God who already existed in the beginning. In other words, the author of this story, this God, is an eternal God. That's a a huge piece of the story we see in the first four words. The second thing we see is the word God, and you can't see it up here, but if you looked at this in the Hebrew language, there is a singular and a plural word for God, and this word is plural. So God is plural. And so in the first four words, we not only see the eternality of God, but we see the fact that God is plural. It's a concept that we define using the word trinity, And as we read the text, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now we introduce right into being the Spirit of God, and we read in John's Gospel, we jump ahead in the story, we read these words, that in the beginning was the Word. The Word here is referencing Jesus, so we could actually put his name in there in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now listen to what it says. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So God the Father is present, the Holy Spirit is present, and Jesus is present, and there. are They have all this energy and they're hovering over this chaos and they are now going to begin the story by creating the heavens and the earth. And these three characters are the three main... uh, These are the three stars of the show. These are the three main characters, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be interacting with this story, coming in and out and involved with this story throughout from the very beginning to the very end. In the beginning, God... And so, what does he do? God creates the heavens and the earth. So, he takes the first three days and he creates spaces. He creates these spaces, this space where there's light and this space where there's dark. And, and then we see that he creates the, the sky and, and he creates, separates out the water. And then he separates the water on the earth and he makes a space where there's land and a space where there's sea. So he creates in the first three days all of these spaces and then he begins to fill those spaces. Days four, five, and six. And so we see, You know, he says, let there be, and he brings about into the place where there's light he puts the sun. And where there's dark he puts the moon and the stars. And into the sea he puts all of the creatures and upon the, 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 in the, you know, the birds in the air and we see that he He creates here all of these things that fill these spaces, the animals that that fill the earth. And it says, and then, and then God said, and it's something different. There's a little break here in the creation process because God just spoke things into being. He just spoke the word and it came into being. But now we see that God is going to make this this creature in his image called man and we read in verse 26 then God said let and, and here it is again let us let us who's us God in plural Father Son Holy Spirit all working together let us make man in our image in our likeness Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God is now going to create something in his image. This is different. And his creating work here is different. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. It said, Now the Lord God, notice, he didn't speak the man into being. He formed him doesn't say that of anything else. He didn't form the sun. He didn't form the moon. He didn't form the stars. He spoke them into being. But when it comes to man, he now is going to form this man from the dust of the ground. And so God forms this man. And, and you know, we can only imagine how, how this happened. I'll tell you how I, have, I envision it is that God formed this man and and he formed the endocrine system, and he formed the digestive system, and the, the pulmonary system, and the neurological system. And, and he put those little bones in, in, in the man's ears, and, but the man was lifeless. And then it says, And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God goes, and the man's eyes open and, and his heart starts to pow- beat and his lungs start to fill with air and, and blood starts to throw through his body and, and all these systems start to work and, the, and he hears birds and the little bones in his ears begin to work and his eyes open and his retinas work and all of the neurons are flashing and all of these muscles are moving and the man gets up. I mean, imagine, no imagine wonder God looked at it and, and, and he said, when it was all done, this is very, this is very good. He didn't quite say that yet though because he looked at the man and being a God who exists within his own self as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he said, you know what? It's not good for the man to be alone. And so he doesn't create something separate. He takes out of the man this woman that he creates and There is going to be a unique coming back together of one flesh, and there's something significant about the fact that he forms the woman out of the very essence of man. He didn't take her from the man's foot lest he walk over her. He didn't take uh, the woman from his back lest she walk behind him. I think it's significant that uh, that God took a rib from the side and created her and brought her to man. And when he saw her, he said, Whoa! (laughs) woman. <laughs> you know how that's they got the name? Yeah, woman. So, so guys, when your wife comes in sometimes, just go woman, okay? And it'll have a special effect, okay? It's a good thing. So here they are, and, it's, and then God looks and said, this is, for the first time, he said, this, this is not just good. This is very good. These, these are the ones that I have created. This is the pinnacle of my creation, In fact, this is the focus of the story. It's not creation as amazing as all that is. That's not the focal point. This is the focal point of everything God created when he formed man, and this is going to be the focal point of the story as we walk through the story together. So he puts them in the garden, this beautiful place that he prepared for them, and he gives them all this freedom to roam the garden and, and to, to commune with him, we, we see that he walked with them in the cool of the day and it was a perfect environment. We look at this story and it just it's so surreal. I mean, it's like the happily ever after is already here. And they're in the garden. And, and then God does one very interesting thing. He, he comes to Adam and he actually does this straight before he creates Eve, but he said, uh, Adam does one thing. There's one thing about your world you need to know, and that is in the center of the garden there are two trees: a tree of life and a tree of good and the knowledge of good and evil. There's one thing I want to tell you. <clears throat> uh, I don't want you to eat of that tree, because if you eat of that tree, now listen to me carefully: you eat of the tree, you will die. You can eat of any tree in the garden, but Adam do not eat of that tree and what enters into the story is this choice that god gives this you know so many things the sun just the sun does what it does because god designed it to do it that way and, and and things are in their orbit because god the laws of nature are there but it's interesting that early on in the story to the man Rather than to order him in obedience, there is this choice that is now given. And that's going to play in big in the story. We see here that everything is wonderful until one day when things dramatically changed. Some of you have seen this, but this is a great illustration. And uh, to walk through this point, I want you to listen to Mina Brown share. Uh, What happens next in the story?
1: The serpent snake was the savviest of all of the creatures in the Creator's perfect planet. The reptile surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes, streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman, from her blind side, preserving the element of surprise. And he said, Hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good. How do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. The woman pointed out the tree with the taboo, the tree of the knowing, the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. said the snake, faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn. With just one bite, you'll be just like him. Eyes wide open knowing the heights of what humans can do, knowing the depths, the despicable too, God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place, total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. Woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise with open eyes, she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard, and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down, and the universe was silent. the cool part of the day and God was walking walking through the land he made his ecosystem so magnificently put together about to erode about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes he took one long last look, and kiss the innocents, goodbye. Oh, yes, Adam, where you hiding, son? Eve, girl, what have you done? Round. It's broken now. Under a curse, from bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen: life will be shorter, pain will be greater, work will harder, grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands. Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained. Slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head. You will strike and bite his heel. You will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for eons. He looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now. Serpent, he just smiled.
0: The story takes a dramatic turn. And you know why he smiled? Because now the same negative consequences that had impacted his life in his own fall was upon his creation. Now the God that he hated, he had tarnished, he had spit in the soup of God. We don't know what Adam and Eve really thought would happen if they ate that fruit. They probably, I'm sure, had no idea the catastrophic implications of making that choice. Maybe they thought God would come and say, Ah, Adam, remember what I told you? Don't do that again, or what I told you is going to happen. God said the day you eat it, you will die. Spiritual death came that day. Physical death became the process that we all experience. And Adam and Eve would be expelled from the garden. and Life would be dramatically, dramatically different. And not just for them, for it isn't long. And we read the story of Cain and Abel. And a horrific day when, when Adam walked into the house and broke the news to Eve. That Abel was dead. And he, and even worse than that, he'd been murdered by his own brother. And life continued on, and sin began to grow, and, and we read in the story that it was a few hundred years later, and God looked down, and he was so grieved, and sin had become so rapid, and his creation was so far from what it, it had once been, that we read these words, these amazing words, we see it in Genesis chapter 6. It says, Then the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his hearts were evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Don't miss that. God is going to destroy literally every one that he created on the face of the earth, and his heart was filled. His heart was filled with grief and pain. So the Lord said, I wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. There was one man, Noah, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so God had a plan. Just about when we look like it's all going to be wiped out and started over, we find that, no, there's one man and his family, his three sons and their wives that God is going to preserve. Eight people in all, and he preserves them uh, by having them build a boat. You know the story. The boat is built. God reverses the order of creation. Well, before he separated the waters out, up into the heavens and down below. And now we see that the waters come down and the waters from beneath come up and the earth is destroyed and every living creature that's there. And we're we're in this story and we can't believe that it was just a few, it seems like a short while ago and there was this surreal place in the garden and now everything is being destroyed except for one man and two of every kind so the day came when Noah and his family came out. Imagine stepping out on the earth and looking around at your wife and three children and their spouses and realizing you are the only people on the planet. If something would have happened to you, a disease, uh, uh, Ebola, something would have come through, the planet would be extinct. But that's not how the story goes. And so we, we begin to think that God is now going to start over and things are going to be okay because he's he, in a very hard choice. He, he destroys all of the evil and, and now there's Adam, but we just read a few chapters and Adam's drunk, naked, in his tent. We start to realize that the problem is not going away. Well, that's where we end for today. Chapter 9. So let me just mention a few things. There are three stories going on here. There's a lower story Noah, Adam, Eve eating fruit, getting kicked out of the garden, Noah pounding nails, building a boat. There's this story that's going on. It's called the lower story. Then there's the upper story because there's something else bigger going on in this story. And so it's not just what's happening down here. We know that when that boat was being built, God had that was a that was a huge part of the story. And so there's the lower story, then there's God's upper story, and then there's our story, there's your story. Because whether you like it or not or whether you know it or not, you're in the story. God created you. You're here in this place, 2015. You are part of the story that's being written. And you're going to play a role in the script in this story. And so this all impacts your story and my story. So here's just some insights I'd like you to think about. I'd like you to think about these insights. Number one, I want you to think about God's involvement in the story. here's the point we're not writing the story we're not God's writing history don't think that man is writing history God is writing history this is his story and he is intricately involved he's intricately involved there's a deistic view of God which has been around for hundreds of years but it's very prevalent today and that is people who say I believe there's probably a God who created everything but then he walked away and he does not intervene in the lives of man. It's called deism. Is that God created the world like a top. He said it's spinning and now the laws of nature take over. If you ask a deist what will happen when they die, they say, I don't know. We may just turn back to dust. God has not intervened to tell us. Basically, they're saying God's not involved in the play. The Bible Is the exact opposite of that message. It says that God is intricately involved from the very beginning in the creation and story after story after story as we go through this, we're going to see God involved, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, very, very involved in the story. So that's one of the things that you need to know about the story that's being lived out. Here's another one. You need to know man's place in the story. I mean... The creation of the world is amazing. But what God intended was that when, when you woke up and, and you started to grow up and you started to look at the creation around us, what, what God wants us to do is, is look you know, at the, the, you know, Mount Everest and the oceans and the, and the streams and the prairies and all the beauty, and our response should be, wow, this is... Someone put this here. Someone's doing something. I mean, if you walked into a stage and it was, there was this incredible set that had been, that had been made, you would go, there's going to be a production here. God just didn't just make creation for the fun of it. He made it because on that stage, he's going to write his story. And man is the pinnacle of that story. You're going to hear that again and again. You are the focus of the story. From God's, God is looking at you as a, you are the primary characters in the story. Here's number three. We see the presence of evil in the story, okay? There's never a time or a place in this story, don't miss this, there's never a time or a place where the characters are free from the forces and influences, the same one that impacted Eve. And the same thing is happening. These forces are challenging the character of God, and they're challenging the Word of God. They will challenge the character of God and the Word of God. Is God really good? How can a good God allow all this suffering in the world? Challenging the character of God. Everything that God tells you in His Word will be challenged. It will be challenged through the culture. It might be challenged from your own thoughts. It will be challenged from the enemy, the presence of evil. Here's number four. The consequences of the fall in the story. This is huge. I'm going to answer for you in the next two minutes the most basic question, the most common question of, people on the face of the earth that ask, and that is, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world if God is good? Okay? It's the most common question that people ask. So I'm going to give you the answer. Sin is devastating. It has incredible consequences. And when God came to Adam, he said, you eat the fruit, you will die. Do you hear me? There's nothing worse than that. You will die. If you, if you sin, you will die. And so sin has horrendous consequences. And we're going to be reading about, you know, sacrificial system, you know, animals being slaughtered and killed. Why? Because sin has to be atoned for. It's serious. We're going to see commands and we're going to go, wow, you, you did this and God said you should be killed. How, how can that be? Because sin is, has such tremendous consequences. And then, ultimately, we're going to see a man beaten and tortured and nailed to a tree because of the seriousness of sin. And so, I've got news for you. Sin has serious consequences. God is trying to use the pain of that to drive us to a place of rescue. And he is not going to minimize the pain of sin. He is not going to minimize the consequences. He's not going to mask the problem in our culture that we have a serious, serious problem and we need something has to be done about. We are in trouble. Because you know what? If God softens that, we just go on our way, don't we? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I mentioned I bought, I bought my... Three-quarter-ton pickup. It had been rolled seven times up in in Rosa when I was there from a young man who was driving 80 on a... He'd been drinking, and he was driving 80 on a 35-mile-an-hour curve. doesn't work very well. The ambulance picked him up. He had two broken legs, two broken arms. He crushed his pelvis, cracked a bunch of ribs, punctured his lung, and he had a a skull concussion. And he cried out to God in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And he was dramatically saved. And I, I went to get the truck from this man and he was in the hospital and he was paralyzed. He'd been there several months. He was paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. And he looked at me and said something you'd never expect somebody to say. He said, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. Because he said, that's what it took to bring me to God. And some of you know what I'm talking about. It was the consequence of sin and the pain of sin and the difficulty of it that finally broke you. And why so I got news in the story. God allows the consequences of sin to keep coming and to keep flowing and tragedies and evil and, and all this stuff because he's, he's got a plan. And he's trying to use it to bring us to a place of rescue. Fifthly, we see the reality of judgment. Our time's up this morning. We see here that judgment is a reality and we can't get around it. In 1 Peter 3 3 to 7, you know, there'll be scoffers that will come and they'll say, you know, they're following their own way. And it says, they will say, Where is his coming, he promised? You know, ever since the beginning of time, our fathers died. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And notice what he says. They, liber- they deliberately forgot two things. Number one, how did everything get here? God intervened. God spoke. God acted. God interjected when there was nothing, so God has acted then. Secondly, how did the whole world get flooded? They deliberately forgot that the world that God has already brought judgment once and you know what in the end he's going to bring judgment again against all sin against your sin, my sin he's going to bring judgment against all this pain and tragedy, why? because he's a good God but meanwhile he is going to allow that pain to do its work in conclusion, here's the last thing we see The promise of a rescue in the story. 3.15. I will put enmity, he's talking to the serpent, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And listen to this. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. A battle is coming that God is going to win. We see the skins in 321. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. He killed animals and shed blood so he could cover their shame. There's a hint there. God is going to use death and blood to cover your shame. And lastly, we see the boat. We see the boat. And when judgment judgment comes, and it will come again, God is going to judge the whole earth. But you know what? In Genesis here, God provides a way of escape in the midst of the judgment, a hint of what's to come. One of the things that should begin to to move you more and more and more as we go through the theme of this story, and by the way, I'm going to give you right now up front this first, this first one, the general theme of the story, and what you're going to see time and time and time and time again is the, you're going to see the desire that God has to win you back, to get you back, to get you restored. You're going to see the desire that God has and the extent to which he's willing to go to get you back. And... Uh, I'm excited <clears throat> as we walk through this story to to experience these truths together. Father, I thank you for this story. So much happens in the just the first scene of this story. We see the beginnings of of creation, we see the beginnings of of mankind. We see we see the beginnings of sin, we see the beginnings of judgment. We see all these themes that are part of the story that are introduced here just in the first few pages of the story, and father they all they all answer questions in our own story in our lives today and so we pray that as we continue to revisit these themes and as we go through this story that we would we would see in a new and a fresh way and, and grasp the wonder of the story that you're writing. Father, help us to see your desire for us and the extent to which you're willing to go to bring us back. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. I invite you to Connection Time. (coughs)